Hey guys, welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Salvati. I want to read a quote for you. The status quo won't change. It's time to vote the parties out. That quote is from my special guest. His name is Steve Cox, and he's running for Congress as an independent for California's 39th district. Hi, Steve. Hi, how's it going? Going great. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having Um, me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So before we get into your platform, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background and why you decided to run as an independent? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I am an independent, so um, that's the number one reason why I decided to run specifically as an independent. It's because I've been one since like 2003, uh, maybe late 2002. Um, You know, I think a lot of us are born into uh, political parties, um, you know, our parents or uh, a, a particular party or whatever. And then you just kind of, because you're raised by your parents, you know, uh, uh, at least one of them, you know, you end up, you end up doing what they what you know, thinking the way they think and stuff for a while at least. And so um, it was about, I was about 25 years old, I guess, 24, 25, somewhere in there when I realized um, that the Republican party, which is the party I would, I belonged to at the time, uh, didn't do any of the things that they said they wanted to do. They, they, you know, they always talked about small government, um, but they always had, you know, the most drastic spending increases and stuff like that. When a Republican was president, they only wanted a small government when a Democrat was president, you know, but when a Republican is president, they go crazy. Um, and, you know, that, and then even when I was in high school as a Republican, cause I bought into all the like small government, keep people out of your life, you know, keep government out of your life stuff until, uh, you know, I was in my twenties. Um, and even in high school though, I didn't understand why Republicans were against gay marriage. I'm like, what's more government in your life than the government telling people who can or can't be married, you know, mm-hmm. like that's, that seems insane. Um, so uh, there was a lot of stuff that just, you know, it, it kind of festered for a while. And then I left the party after the Patriot Act and attacking the wrong country and all this other stuff after 9-11. Um, and then I've been an independent ever since. And I noticed in my own pattern of thinking that I, uh, you know, for a long time, I still had a bias for Republicans for a few years and against Democrats because it was just ingrained. And so it took like a concerted effort, a conscious effort to to root out those sort of biases. And then I ended up with one for the Democrats and against the Republicans for a while. <laughs> you know, And so it's just kind of this back and forth. Um, but, you know, I eventually landed at, at what I believe is the rational position, which is that uh, both of those parties don't care. They, they don't they only care about money and power for themselves and and anything that furthers their that goal. Um, you know, so if doing something for us, the regular people, um, helped them get more money and power for themselves, they would do it. Um, as long as there wasn't somebody paying them even more money than that, not to do it, right? Such as universal mm-hmm. healthcare, right? Medicare for all or something like that. So, and then the reason why I ended up running for Congress is um, after the 2016 election, when Trump won, Um, you know, I got to be honest, I was radicalized a little farther left or a lot farther left um, by Barack Obama, of all people. It wasn't by Republicans. I I gave Barack Obama $500 in 2008 on the hopes of him 
fixing healthcare as he promised and as the hopes of him getting us out of all the wars, you know, which I wanted us to get out of. Um, the hopes of increased whistleblower protections that he promised when he was running for office. Um, and he did none of those things, really. And, you know, so by 2012, I didn't even vote for president. I was like, we have Romney care guy, the white guy from Massachusetts who who basically created the, the blueprint for Obamacare on the national level. And I'm like, so, you know, I, I felt like I was choosing colors instead of people. Like, cause I couldn't really see what the real difference was between those two candidates. And I'm like, I don't really care what color they are. You know, like I, I want somebody who's doing the right stuff. So I ended up bailing on um, and didn't even vote for president in 2012. But um, after the 2016 election, I was like, okay, the people just elected this dummy like this, you're right. Cause I, I just never thought he was very smart. And, and I'm like, okay, so, but there's obviously a, a desire for something different. And I was driving up to a race in uh, Northern California because my job is a, as a photo, photo, photographer and journalist covering motocross racing and, and supercross racing. I was driving up to Northern California from Southern California. It's about a five or six hour drive, five hour drive, how I drive. And, and uh, um, I was just kind of deep in thought about this stuff, which driving is a great meditation time for me to like get into things like that. But um, I was just deep in thought about like, why? You know, basically right at that point, I had just turned 40 years old. This was May of, of 2017. I had just turned 40 years old in April, um, which I just turned 44 a few days, uh, you know, six days ago. Um, so I turned 40 years old and it's a bit of a milestone and I'm sitting there going, okay, you know, how old am I going to be when somebody comes along that I can really get behind as a candidate that I can really say like, Hey, I want, you know, this guy really knows what he's talking about. He's got the right attitude, I think for, for the job. Like, you know, cause one of the problems I see is that, is that we keep electing people who are nice, <laughs> right? People who want to get along with other people, which is, which is, you know, good for winning elections. It's good for winning elections because you want to get along with all the voters and you go, you, you're good at schmoozing. But once you get into office, that means that you go to D.C. and you're going to get along. You're going to work to get along with the sewer over there. You know, so you end up not actually fixing anything. You end up sort of joining the club, you know, so like I think we elect the wrong type of people. So I'm sitting there going like, when is when are we going to get somebody I can really get behind as a candidate? Like, am I going to be 50? Am I going to be 60? If I'm 70 before that happens, and, and if it still doesn't happen, I'm going to feel really upset. I'm going to be really angry about all these years that went by and nobody took the time to, you know, that I couldn't find anybody that I could get behind like that. And, you know, I had these, uh, the other half of this is that I, I sort of talked myself into it with that, but also with the idea that like society in general when we have a society we belong to a society i believe if you if you have answers needed answers that, that that are that are required to address the problems that we face um and nobody else is properly addressing those problems and your answers are you know unique or or you know whatever but but you believe they're correct i think it's your job as a member of that society to try and institute those changes like that's that's your job. It's not really a choice. It's like, you know, people are being hurt. People are being killed. People are, are, you know, losing their livelihoods. And, you know, I feel like I have a good handle on why and what we can do to fix those things. So 
um, that was ultimately the end end point. And I went to that race when I finally got there. I, I got there that night. It was a Friday night, and the race was on Saturday. And I, I went around the pits at the race and told all the people there who all know me um, that I was running for Congress. And I did that because I knew that I'd chicken out. Um, like I, it's just so much work and it's so scary. And, and, uh, and I knew that I would, I would chicken out if I didn't sort of hang myself. <laughs> so I told everybody who knew me that I was going to run for Congress. So I knew that if I didn't do it, I'd look like a total jerk. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's, that's ultimately how I ended up, uh, uh, running for office and doing it as an independent, but I truly do believe doing it as an in independent might get us the right way, like get us pointed in the right direction, because it's not just about me, it's about getting more independence in there. Because the, the people that own both those parties, they don't lose those seats, the people who own them don't lose those seats when the party switches, right? When it just goes from Democrat to Republican or back, um, you know, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, uh, Raytheon, all these, mm -hmm. all these companies, they all get, they're all fine. Like they do just fine, thank you very much, right? So um we need to kick if we want to kick the oligarchy out of those seats we got to kick both parties out of those seats in my opinion agreed so i want to ask you a question about california so a lot of people have been leaving california and moving to places like texas or like colorado places more i guess more affordable some people have said and i'm sure you've heard this as well some people have said that it's the democrats fault that people are leaving california you live in California. What's your take on that? Like who is to blame for the reason why people are leaving? So this is going to be a bit of a meta answer, but um, yeah, the Democrats are definitely at fault uh, in, in Congress and, or in Congress in, in our assembly, in our state Senate um, and in the, the governor's house. So, you know, they, they, those people, um, they run everything in this state. So to, to try and say that it's not their fault, I think is kind of crazy. But that's not to say that it's um, only their fault. Uh, you know, I think it's primarily their fault, but I also think that the voters themselves, you know, this is a, this is a tough part of my campaign because uh, a big part of what I want to run on, which is uh, a little bit tough sometimes, is blaming the voters <laughs> <laughs> like you know this mess we have uh that's your fault it's your fault <laughs> you're the ones that keep electing these people right and and i understand that a lot of times you don't have another choice besides those two you know mm -hmm. a lot of races people don't don't run as anything besides those two uh, major parties but um and in that case you know you i guess you do what you got to do right but the fact that so many people do run as third party of some sort, whether it be independent, which I think is the answer or, or some other party and get so little traction, I think is directly let that puts the blame directly on the shoulders of the voters themselves. The voters themselves um, have to bear the responsibility of our government's behavior. If we're not, uh, if we're not willing to take on ownership of our own government, and how it operates, then yeah, we're, this is never going to get fixed. None of this stuff's going to get fixed because why would it? You know, like mm -hmm. who's who's going to be the one in there making it happen? So, you know, I think that a big part of it is the voters in California. You know, but but um, I mean, I signed. I'm a pro gun lefty, right? I'm a left wing left. What what we what I like to call not like to call, but on the political compass, I'm a left leaning 
left wing independent or a, a left wing libertarian is the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I'm for universal health care. I'm for, you know, uh, defunding the police as much as possible and, and ultimately getting rid as ma- of as many police as we can. I think if you run a good, uh, you run a society that's truly fair and just where the, where the bottom isn't abject poverty and the top isn't $200 billion, um, you know, I think you, you, you don't need that many police anymore. You know, the, the police, you, you wouldn't need them because the crime would drop because why, you know, like criminals aren't bad people per se, they're, they're in a bad situation for the most part. Um, you know, so, so I really think that there's, there's a lot to be said about, about um, that stuff on the left. But so as part of that, where I'm going with that is that um, I went to the uh, gun shop because I'm a pro gun guy. I went to a gun shop uh, in December of 2019 and signed the, the recall against Gavin Newsom. That was before the pandemic started or anything, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, they're like, you want to sign to recall Gavin Newsom? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like, let me, I didn't even know it was a thing, but I'm like, yeah, I'll sign that. Like, screw that guy. So, <laughs> you know, and, and the, the thing is, is like, um, like I, I would really like to fix the state of California as well. Um, and, but there's a lot more, like, I don't really, frankly, I don't really understand the California constitution that well. I don't really understand um, some of the more local political things like, uh, you know, roads, <laughs> like, like city, citywide stuff, you know, there's things like that, that are a little weird to me that, that I still, that I've just never dived into, but I do understand the U S constitution. I do understand American history. I do understand um, sort of, uh, ma- I understand macroeconomics pretty well, you know, um, and a lot of stuff like that. And, and a couple of my big pushes are to fix the VA, because um, my dad is a veteran who's been screwed over by the VA repeatedly for over a decade, um, and and get our soldiers all home, like bring everybody home, um, which I can't do that from a California state position anyway, either of those things that, that are two of my primary pushes, you know, so so that's why I wouldn't actually run here. But but the final point is, is on why people are leaving California is property values are insane here. They're completely nuts. Um, where I live, it's a nice property, but it's unincorporated. So it's like not officially part of a city. Like when, when I call, if I were to call 911, which I don't because <laughs> I want to live. But if I, wa- <laughs> if I call, if I called 911, sheriffs would show up, even though I'm in, I'm technically inside Chino, which is a, a, a city or Chino Hills, which is a city. Uh, but sheriffs show up because it's unincorporated part of the town. And where I live, um, right across the street, I mean, it's a nice piece of property. It's like, you know, fairly big, but I rent. Um, but like uh, nice, right across the street, the guy just sold his house for like a million one. And I'm just like, that's insane. Like, it's insane that it's, it's like a, a third of an acre, which is, you know, okay. Like you have a yard, but um, you know, in like 2,500 square feet or something in a million one. I mean, wow. so that's a big part of it too, is I think that it's not just being mismanaged from the position of like, I think a lot of people are leaving the state because they feel as if um, they're being put upon you know, sort of a, a, a small amount of oppression, if you will, because 
we pay all this money in taxes. It's like a 10% tax rate here, you know, income tax rate for the state. Um, and all the sales taxes are, are, you know, in my area or anywhere from eight to 11%, depending on the county you buy something in. Um, and you pay all these taxes, all these fees. My, we just had a daughter, my wife and I, Daphne, who's like a, my pride and joy. Um, she's almost 16 months old. She'll be 16 months old tomorrow. Um, and she, uh, but like we had to pay the county of, uh, county of Los Angeles, which is where she was born in the hospital there. We had to pay $25 just for her birth certificate. And I'm like, why? Like, you know, we're, contrib- we're bringing a new person into your state. Like this is a person who is going to eventually, if we stay in the state, pay taxes into your system, is going to have a job and help the economy, et cetera, in California. And I have to pay money. I have to pay money out of my pocket to get a birth certificate, right? Like that's insane to me. It's just mm-hmm. nuts. And, and you know, car registration is insanely expensive here. Gas, gas taxes are really crazy. And CARB, which is the California Air Resources Board, they do a thing with the gasoline here where they, they require a proprietary blend of gasoline that can only be sold in California. None of the oil companies or gas companies can sell it anywhere else because, you know, because it's a requirement that only California has. And because of that, our gas prices are usually 30% higher than anywhere else they are in the country, sometimes even more, you know? So, and we're forced to commute because the other part is, is that if you work anywhere, you can't afford to live near there because all the businesses are in more expensive areas, you know, like Los Angeles is a more expensive area. So if you want to have, have a, a, you know, if you want to work at a company where you have like a, you know, a chance of moving up somewhere or whatever, Usually you have to commute an hour or so to work every day back and forth, like an hour each way, you know? And, and so you're paying all this money and gasoline just to go to work and you're losing all this time that you could have with your family and everything else just to get to work and come home, you know? And then on top of that, you have these crazy property values that, that make it impossible for first time buyers to buy a home if they don't already have equity in something else, or they're not just rich, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, on and on. I mean, there's just a stack of things that make it really desirable to get the hell out of here, you know, and it's, it's sad because I love California. I love where I live and where I, I've lived here my whole life in the same area. But, um, you know, I do understand why people leave, you know, I get it. And, and it's been a thought I've had more than once as well, because it's just, you get, you eventually get tired of it. You know, you get eventually get tired of like, oh, another fee, another tax, another, you know, and they, they outlaw all kinds of weird stuff. Like, but we wanted to make limoncello like shots for a party a few years ago, like these little jello shots or whatever, like with, and you need, uh, you need Everclear alcohol to make that. Right. Yep. It's illegal in California. You can't buy Everclear here because the it's too high of a alcohol percentage or whatever. So I had to literally drive to Las Vegas to a BevMo um, or Phoenix. It was Phoenix actually to a BevMo like just outside of Phoenix to buy like a few jugs of that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Because we, we like, I mean, I, I was going near there anyway, but the point was like, I was going to Blythe, which isn't that far away, but, but the point is, is like, you know, this is, you know, can you let us be adults and handle our own decisions at some point? Is that something that you could allow us to do, please? You know, <laughs> and that's where my left libertarian thing comes in, you know, uh, is that, 
that uh, left libertarian and right libertarian differ in that right libertarians are really primarily concerned and really only concerned with negative liberties, which is preventing people from interfering in you doing what you want to do. So that's preventing mm -hmm. government interference. Left libertarians like myself, we believe in both preventing negative liberty or, you know, enforcing negative liberties, but also positive liberties, which is essentially uh, truly enabling a person and empowering a person to really use those rights or freedoms that they should be able to use. So it's not just like, hey, we'll allow you to go wherever you want. You can travel wherever you want, right? And that, that'd be like a right-wing libertarian thing. A left-wing libertarian thing is like, you can travel wherever you want and we're gonna provide you with roads and trains and other means of actually doing it, right? Actually achieving that freedom. So, you know, that's the big difference. And so, um, you know, some people have accused me of being progressive. I'm not sure that word has a meaning anymore. Nope. Um, but, but, uh, I've never really owned that. Um, so to me, I'm, I'm a left libertarian and as that I can talk to Republicans and they understand what I'm saying most of the time about most things outside of like abortion. Uh, you know, I could talk to right-wing libertarians too, and we'll disagree on some stuff, but they'll, they'll understand I'm mostly on their side, you know, as far as the stuff they already believe, um, you know, and, and I can talk to most Democrats too, although they're the hardest to be honest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah yeah so i know i noticed on your platform there was a plan for veterans and my dad's a veteran so that one really like piqued my interest yeah you said that uh veteran income taxes should be paid in full forever yeah can you talk a little bit about that well i'll give you the backstory to that my my dad served in vietnam um he uh was a crew chief on CH-53 helicopters in the Marine Corps, um, and which was, you know, cargo and, uh, and personnel. So like he flew a lot of medevac missions, like pulling soldiers out of, uh, you know, the middle of a bunch mm -hmm. of really bad stuff. He got shot down a bunch of times over there and, and whatever. And when he came home, he's, you know, outside of, you know, the thing that sent him home, which was, uh, he was working on the tail rotor of his helicopter and the bolt broke and he fell off the tail rotor and, and busted his knee up real bad. And so that's how he actually got sent home, which is kind of a bit of a lack of, a, it's like an unheroic way of being sent home from war, but, but it was, you know, it was just what it was. Um, but, and, and then the Agent Orange exposure, which has caused him cancers that he's been fighting for over a decade now, that's another thing he brought home, but we didn't know about that till, you know, 2008 or so, but uh, 2007. Um, but he came home with PTSD. He came home with a, a huge emotional problems, you know, that, that like, you know, caused him to snap, um, on certain things like in anger, um, and, you know, really difficult for a child. Like I was to understand what was going on because, you know, you felt like you had to walk on eggshells a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I talked to my mom about it too, as a, as an adult. And she tells me all these stories about him waking up in the middle, like her waking up in the middle of the night with him hitting her, but he's, he's asleep, you know, but he's like punching her and stuff because he's having one of these horrible nightmares. And, and the thing is, is when somebody goes to actual battle, that's my point about when I'm talking about on, on my website is when somebody actually goes into battle for this country, whether, whether you agree with the, the reasons for the battle, 
or the fight at all, which I don't, um, for any of the ones we're currently in, plus uh, the one my dad was in. Um, whether you agree or not, you're doing that for that government, for the U.S. government, and you're, you're sacrificing something regardless of whether or not you're physically affected when you leave. I think you're giving up a lot. And I believe that uh, under those circumstances, those, those men and women um, should be paid back. And I think that, that you know, doing something that hellish and going through warfare like that, I think, um, you know, should exempt people. My, my proposal is to exempt people, uh, war veterans, battle veterans, from, um, from uh, income taxes on the first $100,000, federal income taxes, on the first $100,000 a year that they make. So like if Jeff Bezos of Amazon was a veteran, like he'd still pay a lot of taxes, <laughs> you know, but it'd be after the first hundred thousand. So, um, cause I think that's a, that's a, a more than reasonable amount of money, um, you know, per year that people might make, you know, so, um, that, that's my proposal. And I think honestly, that's one among my proposals. I think that's one I could actually get passed. I think I could, I could, there's a, there could be enough of a positive push to that. And, and uh, uh, too little of a downside to it um, to cause much backlash. I think I could actually get that one passed just, to, just because, you know, and, and if I could do that, that would be, you know, amazing, I think. And, and the, the best part about it, not the best part, the best part is helping veterans, but, but the, the second best part about that is that by, by excluding war veterans from income taxes, you would be applying an additional in, in, disincentive for the federal government to declare war in the first place, to send anybody into battle, right? Nope. Because they'd be losing future revenue. So uh, I also like that. I like the subversive nature of, of that sort of thing. No, that's awesome. Yeah, the VA is a mess. Like my dad had to deal with them as well. Um, so I know you want to get money out of politics. Yeah. 100% behind that. There's a quote on your website I, I want to mention because I think this is very important for people to hear. It says that poor people don't have political power, even though there are so many more of them. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there was a study um, that uh, was it Princeton. Mm, I'm pretty sure as Princeton was at least involved in this study, but it was a study about uh, about they looked at like about approximately 1800 different political issues um, from about 1982 or something until 2001. And during that period of time, they tracked like the likelihood, like the public opinion of it, the oligarchy, if you will, opinion of it, like the, the wealthy people and big business opinions of, of that particular policy. And, um, and they tracked that stuff. And then they tracked like whether it passed or didn't. And they found a direct correlation where the, the higher the percentage of the rich or big businesses or whatever, the, the oligarchy end of it, the higher the percentage of them supported a particular measure, the more likely it was to be passed by Congress. Like a, it was a perfect curve, like a perfect graph curve, it's like where you're like, oh, wow, okay, <laughs> you know? But when it came to, it showed, I mean, this is scientific, it, it showed that as far as the regular person, the, the you and me type of person, um, the likelihood of anything they supported did not change regardless of how many 
regular people supported it. It, it was a flat line. The graph was, was 19 to 20% all the way across. The, like it was a flat line. So there was no, they literally don't do anything for us. Anything that we get from our own government is a byproduct or somehow of a, a, an accident most of the time, or it's something that they have to throw in. They know they have to throw in in order to get, um, to get the thing passed, you know, or to, to, to not lose their seat. Right. So like the, the coronavirus aid packages are great examples of this because all this money went to these big businesses and all this other stuff. And then we got, you know, in the first one, $1,200, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just like, Oh, okay. Like somehow you guys spent $3 trillion and we only got a 10th of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the regular people got like a 10th of it. Like that's nuts. So, you know, that sort of thing is always the case. Like it, you know, and, and it's part of partially in fault or the fault of the way that the house specifically, but both, both party, both the houses of Congress, how they allow people to uh, add things to bills, different bills onto the same bill for the same vote, stuff like that. Um, which is, you know, I don't think it should be a thing. Um, but, uh, it's still, ultimately it's because they serve big business. They, they want to make sure that the people who are paying for their conventions, paying for their, uh, you know, um, cap or, or whatever the, uh, centers for American progress, that, that was the thing, mm-hmm. but it's near a Tandon's old organization paying all those bills, you know, all these sorts of things They they, they, uh, they want to make sure that those checks keep coming in. You know, I mean, in 2016, the Republican National Convention in 2016 and the Democratic National Convention in 2016, both got over a million dollars from Blue Cross Blue Shield. You know, <sighs> both. Because Blue Cross Blue Shield, that two million bucks isn't even nothing, right? It, it was like two and a half million total. They don't care. Like they, they're making billions. But the investment that $2 million guarantees that they're always going to be able to keep making these billions. Like that's, that's the idea. That's the whole point. And, and until we fix that, um, yeah, it's not, it's not going to get any better, not significantly. So, you know, we'll get little margins here and there, but um, I really don't believe anything major is going to change. And I believe we need truly need major, major change, like a real big change, not, not just some, you know, incremental bs like they're always mm-hmm. trying to give us you know the the democratic party specifically has a has a pattern of passing laws um that are really at best ineffective but at worst make things worse and then using like a pr team to to sell it like it's a, like like they've done something for us you know mm-hmm. i mean that's what they did with the 1994 assault weapons ban at the time the the guns accounted for like one and a half percent of all gun crimes right? The guns that they banned. And then they put a, they, so they're out there going, look, we're doing something about all the gun crime, everybody, but they weren't, they weren't, they were doing nothing. And then, and then, you know, they also put a 10 year sunset provision in it so that it would expire in 10 years because they wanted to be able to run on having to, to re, you know, to revote or whatever, pass that again. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so that's all it was. If they really thought, if they really truly thought that those particular weapons were the reason why we had such huge gun crime numbers and gun homicides and everything else, 
it's irresponsible to put a sunset provision on the bill that you can finally get passed that's going to reintroduce those weapons into society. But they did that because they wanted to use it as a political thing to get back into office. I mean, that's how it works. And they did the same thing with Obamacare, with the, the Affordable Care Act. They, they passed that and then went out and told everybody, look at all this stuff we're doing for you. And mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, and, and this is a guy who just gave Barack Obama 500 bucks during the previous election cycle and was still a big supporter of his at that point. And I'm like, that's not going to work. I, 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 and I was telling all my, all my liberal friends, I'm like, this isn't going to work. They're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, because what they're saying is they're saying that uh, now they're requiring everybody to have a thing right? Well, I said, televisions are a good market, a good free market where like the prices are always going down and quality is going up. But mm -hmm. imagine what would happen to the prices and the quality if the government passed a law that everybody had to buy one television a year, right? Yep. If you had to buy law, buy a television every year, if you did that, the prices would go up and the quality would go down because you're taking the ability to say no out, right the uh, to know to all the above you take that away and it drives prices up so um i'm like telling them and that, that, i'm like that's basic economics that's that's like mm -hmm. very basic stuff you know and and i'm like and then on top of that the 80 20 rule that they put into that which is that every insurance company is uh, by law has to spend at least 80 percent of their premiums that they bring in have to be spent on patient care right mm -hmm. They did that. And then the other 20% goes toward, you know, whatever they give to shareholders, profits, their administrative costs, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, that's, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out either because there were no cost controls in the, in affordable care act. So um, in the end, like, you know, for example, in 2013, I broke my left femur and the price to get my surgery, just the surgery for the femur uh, rod put in my left femur was $64,000 right? $64,000. The total bill was double that. Um, but it was $64,000. I was there for one night. Um, and I talked to a friend of mine who's got a wife. He, he's, he's British, but his, he lives in Spain and his wife is a nurse in Spain. Mm -hmm. And I asked him to tell me what it would cost to pay cash for the same surgery there. $5,400. And I'm like, okay, you know, like, and so what happens now is the, the, the insurance companies, like they don't, they have no incentive on bringing the actual costs down because the higher the costs are, the more that 80%, the bigger that 80% gets that they have to spend on patient care, which means the bigger the 20% gets that they get to keep, you know, that they get to put toward yeah. their administrative costs and keep for their shareholders and, and their CEOs and all this other stuff. It, like, and I mean, the bill was written by lobbyists. So of course that's how it works, but um anyway it's a long answer but but uh i really do believe that 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 that's the real trouble of it and and i don't think you fix that by by a, by electing different democrats or even different republicans i think i think it's the same because the party itself is corrupt you know right exactly so i know you want to end the war on drugs i 100 percent agree i i I think it's long overdue. This has gone on for too long yeah. and it's affected a lot of, um, a lot of people's lives and, and well, their families and, uh, as well. And not to cut you off, but mostly people of color, like you, people, black people mm -hmm. and Hispanic people for the most part. So, yep. Not white so, people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Could you talk a, a little bit about that? Yes. Um, there's a lot of pushback on that because we've been sort of indoctrinated into this, you know, drugs are bad and, and, you know, we have to protect everybody for themselves and, and, and they always bring up the children. What about the children? <laughs> what about the children? It's like, you know, that should be the parent's job. Number one, like as a dad myself, if my kid was on drugs, I hope that I would know. Right. I hope that I would, mm -hmm. I would be uh, close enough to my child. I can't guarantee that. Cause I, you know, my child's 16 months old, but I, I really hope that I would know that. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, there's, there's obvious bullshit. If you don't mind the expression in the war on drugs, because for example, cannabis is schedule one, according to the DEA, which puts it on a level um, above, for example, uh, cocaine. Right. And it's like, well, you know, can and to be schedule one, according to their own definitions, the drug can't have any medicinal benefit and must be highly addictive. It's and it's both of those things. It has to be both those things to be schedule one. And cannabis is has neither of those things. It is medicinal for certain <laughs> people and conditions, and it is not addictive. So how is it a schedule one? The reason why it's schedule one, I'm convinced. And, I, and, you know, Joseph Kennedy, the former representative of Massachusetts, who's a, a part of the Kennedy clan, he slipped up and said this in an interview once because he used to be a DA, um, which is a cop. Mm -hmm. uh, but he, he slipped up in an interview once and he said the reason why he, he's against legalization of marijuana in Massachusetts is because police officers are able to use the smell um, as an excuse to search people's cars and yep. or, or, or things and he's like and you get all kinds of illegal guns all kinds of other stuff and i'm like whoa, whoa 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 you just admitted to wanting a certain plant to be illegal so that you can use it to violate constitutional rights of people that are pulled over by the police mm -hmm. right that that's what you just admitted to and how can and he was by the way he was in the congressional progressive caucus but mm -hmm. <laughs> he was there and i'm like how is this a thing right but i think that's a big part of it i think i think that the smell itself because it makes it easy um for cops to even fake that they smell it like oh i think i smell weed when they don't but they can say that they think they do and then and then they can search your search your stuff and make it and then that's part of what happens with black people and hispanic people mm -hmm. who who get pulled over is the cops will look at them and be like yeah this is about the type that i think yep. i could maybe get something on and so they'll they'll start harassing them have them get out of the car to search it do all this other stuff and you know i put myself in the shoes as best as i can of black people as as often as i can in those circumstances and you know, I understand why they run from the cops, to be honest. Like they grow up in inner, a lot of these people grow up in inner city communities where police mm -hmm. are always around and always brutalizing their, their own family and friends, people they know, their neighbors, their, their dad, their uncle, their, their brother, their son, you know, yeah. and, and then they grow up, you know, the kids grow up under those circumstances, watching these cops beating all their, you know, whatever, doing all this really awful shit. And it's like, then they get pulled over and they run. And, and a lot of white people, people look like me are like, well, why would you run if you got nothing to hide? And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how that works. <laughs> Imagine there was, a, there was a, a known gang, a street gang that dressed this certain way and was you know, targeting you, <laughs> right? People who look like you. And then one of those had you pull off the side of the road and trapped right there or whatever. 
like you're gonna run like you're gonna run from them you're gonna want to at least you know so i totally do understand i understand all that stuff too but like the war on drugs is a failure it's been a failure from the very start there's been there's never been a point when any of the drugs that are banned have been hard to get like you can get all of them so you know number one you fail because it it doesn't do anything number two um it also creates this massive influx of prisoners and everything else uh, most of whom are non-violent um drug offenders who are basically just addicts or or something like that um and and uh you know or just got caught with a illegal flower in their pocket or whatever and and you know they they end up in prison we have one percent of our population in prison or or on parole or whatever but under control of the the um you know the correction system in our country and and it's the, not only the highest in the world by percentage um, of population, but also by outright number. So mm-hmm. we have a country of 330 million people. China has like what two billion or something? I don't know, a billion. It's it's over a billion. Um, India has a billion plus, uh, and neither of them have the number of people in prison that we have. No. Nope. Like, so how like? So how can people sit around and be like the land of the free? <laughs> we have the highest prison population of any country in the world. Like we've jailed more of our own people than any country in the entire planet. And we have the balls to sit around and talk about the land of the free and the home of the brave. Like, it, you know, yep. it's nonsense. And people need to get, get over this stuff because this is all indoctrination stuff. It's all... BS that we need to learn to, to, to give a side eye to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, um, but, but the bigger point here is this, and I tell this, and I get a lot of Republicans on my side uh, on the war on drugs. A lot of Republicans are very anti-immigrant, you know, um, especially Hispanic immigrants, but, um, Chinese immigrants, whatever, they don't like them. Um, I don't mind. I love immigrants. I, I'm good with it. Like, you know, I love tacos. I love Chinese food. I got no problems with anybody. Like, you know, I want my country. I want, I want different cultures around me. I like it. You know, I think it's a good thing. Um, so uh, I'm not going to say this as somebody who, who uh, agrees with their position about immigrants or anything like that, but in playing sort of devil's advocate with Republicans and stuff like that, when I'm walking around talking to people in the public, um, I frequently point out to them that like the reason why we have such a problem at the southern border is because of our war on drugs, primarily because of our war on drugs, because cartels whose market is here, like 99% of their sales market for for their drugs, their illicit drugs is here in the United States. Those cartels run the governments in in Mexico, almost completely in Mexico, but, you know, Guadalajara, uh, uh, Honduras. Uh, and on down into South America, Central South America, um, those cartels run shit. And when you're a family, you know, put it this way, and this I've told this to people, but but I, I whole, wholeheartedly mean it. I have a daughter and I would literally do anything for her, for her safety and for, for her to be able to grow up. If you think I wouldn't cross some imaginary line into a different country where the laws are different or whatever, even if it was against the law, if you think I wouldn't do that to protect my daughter, you're high. I would do that in a second. Like it wouldn't, like I wouldn't have to think twice about breaking a law like that. So, you know, this idea that like illegal immigrants are somehow, um, you know, 
bad because they're already breaking the law just coming here it's like get over yourself man like these people are leaving some pretty awful situations and for the most part for or in very at least very large part we are the cause of that our country causes a lot of the strife that causes the people to show up at our border so you know if we got the hell out of all their business and you know that would help a lot but uh, in additionally if we ended the war on drugs and legalized eventually, which I, this is the long, the long one, the hard one to get, is to legalize all those drugs um, so that they can be regulated and taxed and the tax money can be used to help addicts and things like that to recover instead of sending them to prison. And then the plants, you know, specifically cannabis and mushrooms, those are, as far as I know, are the only two that are, or maybe there might be another like cactus one that's a hallucinogen, uh, peyote. Um, so like there's there's three that are just plants. And as far as I'm concerned, those should just be decriminalized. And the reason why I say that is decriminalization means no criminal penalty whatsoever. If it's truly decriminalized, there's no like there's no cr criminal penalty toward, um, you know, growing or, or harvesting or carrying or having anything. It's just what it is. I think that the plants, that's how they should be treated. Um, but because they're not really dangerous, that's the big point of it is they're not dangerous substances. Um, whereas cocaine, you know, you can die if you take too much, uh, heroin, same, uh, methamphetamine, same, like uh, the harder drugs, those sorts of things that aren't just a plant, but are actually, uh, you know, highly processed, um, drugs, those things, I think it wouldn't be safe just to, you know, to decriminalize them. I think we would have to legalize and regulate those, mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the right answer. And, and doing these sorts of things, not for nothing, brings us closer to the actual idea, ideal of land of the free and home of the brave, as we always like to sing about, you know, all proudly with our hand over our chest and <laughs> whatever. So, so yeah, so that I really do believe that that's the right answer. Um, and some of the biggest groups pushing back against ending the war on drugs as a policy our prison uh, security, like uh, prison guard unions and private prison companies um, and, and police agencies and stuff. Like they're, they're all the bad actors um, mm -hmm. that, that, that profit off of um, keeping it the way it is, you know, the status quo. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Joseph Kennedy. Um, when he ran against Ed Markey, I was just like, what are you doing? Like, I, I can't stand him. I, I live in Massachusetts. Like I can't, He's such a kid. So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, go sit down. Like, you yeah. have no reason to run for this. Howdy duty. Howdy duty. Like, go go sit your redheaded ass down. <laughs> <laughs> he totally looks like that howdy duty puppet from the 50s or 60s or whatever. That's all yeah. I can think of every time I see him is howdy duty. Just as old yeah. with his big red hair and shit. I know. And I was born, I was born with red hair, so I could talk shit. <laughs> Um, I have one more question for you. Yeah. So in Massachusetts in 2020 election, uh, ranked cho choice voting actually made it to the ballot. And I was really excited about it. Um, unfortunately, it did not pass. And I was super bummed. I was very surprised. I think a lot of people just didn't really understand the question for whatever reason. Um, those yeah. of us that are not as into like, or people not as into like politics and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a common tactic actually to phrase it in a way that's confusing so that, you know. Yeah, so I wanted to get your opinion about that. Like, what's your opinion about ranked choice voting? I mean, I think that there are good ways to do it. Um, and I have been, I can't name the the actual specific type, but there is one particular way that 
that uh, I think would work really well. Um, there are also ways to do it poorly. Um, for example, just to give you a mathematical example, just off the top of my head, um, if somebody, if there are 10 candidates running for a particular thing and one person is ranked fifth on every ballot, just as a mathematical uh, whatever, and somebody mm -hmm. else is ranked first on 40% of the ballots, but 10th on 60% of the ballots, the person who got fifth on all the ballots should win, right? Like they, they, they have a higher ranking or whatever overall. But the way that some of the ranked choice voting things are done is it's a top three thing. So you only pick the top three and then no, no value is assessed or given to the rest of the people on the ballot. And so it, 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 it's a kind of a confusing thing. And under those circumstances, one of the other problems is, is it requires computers to really sort of analyze it and make sure that everything is, you know, how it should have ended up, you know, probabilities and things like that. Um, it's a pretty complex math from what I understand, which I don't understand the math, but from what I understand from the people who understand the math. Uh, uh, but, um, you know, so I think that there's good ways and bad ways. In California, just a couple of years ago, Gavin Newsom, um, our state legislature passed ranked choice voting and Gavin Newsom vetoed it. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, they don't want that, right? Like the, 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 the status quo doesn't want something like that. Um, but I think that the idea is sound. I think the idea is good because what you want to, what you're trying to do is defeat the duopoly and how they look at, um, uh, you know, wasted votes and this sort mm -hmm. of, which I always get in these arguments with people like, you waste your vote every single time you vote for somebody who doesn't do what they said they were going to do. Like a hundred percent of the time, that's a vote, a wasted vote. So how can you like fault somebody else and say that they wasted their vote just because they voted for their actual conscience? you know, and somebody that they actually wanted. Like it, it's just a, it really what they're saying is, is my, my opinions and my values are more important than yours. And I, I expect that you should adopt my opinions and my values and do as I want you to. That's what they're really saying. That's a very disrespectful way of talking to people about, um, about that stuff. Uh, but um, I think it's a good idea uh, and it could help a lot but it does depend on how it's how it's put together. And I think the system that I that I and man, I wish I, I could have looked this up before. But the um, what the one that I, I the ring choice voting thing that I had looked at that looked like it was good was it would have a sort of a bigger ballot um, as a precursor and then like a runoff um, for like, you know, people at the end. And, and I think that that could have worked pretty well, um, you know, as a two step process. But I'm not sure that, um, again, like we could probably do it as a ballot initiative here, but it's going to take years to actually get that together. Um, but the fact is, is like we actually had it passed. Like it was actually could have just gone into law with a signature and and um, Gavin Newsom vetoed it. Wow, man. And oh no real gosh. explanation. He just said, I just don't think this is right for California. It's like, no, <laughs> that's not. You don't think it's right for you. You don't think it's right for you and your buddies. And all your mm -hmm. your uh, all your Bay Area, you know, jerks that like control the party in the state. But like, you know, I have a lot of friends that are in the Democratic Party in the state of California that are trying to change it from the inside. And I always sort of mock them for it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, oh, why don't you change them? Why don't you join the mafia so you can change it from the inside? <laughs> too? 
and, 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 you know, they don't necessarily appreciate me mocking them for it, but the, uh, you know, but they'd still tell me these stories and, and it's just as corrupt at the state level in California as it is anywhere else, you know, that it's, it, it's a problem, you know, and, and that's what happens when you allow power to sort of get concentrated um, and into these, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, you know, clubs, like just a, a club that has all this power and like, it's just, it doesn't work. You know, if you want actual freedom, like, like I was just talking about, um, you, you have to be willing to step up as a voter and as a, as a political activist and actually support, um, you know, outright support the people that are standing up against both of those parties. I really believe that. Um, but, but ranked choice voting, if you guys do it again, um, I hope it passes, you know, um, but, yeah. but, but like another thing that happened here in California about the phrasing of stuff on ballots, um, there was a, there was one that was, what was it about? It was about, uh, mm, it was in, it was two elections or yeah, two elections ago in 2018, but basically the, the standard for it was, uh, the way the question was written out or the way the thing was written out. It seemed like for a lot of people, because it was like for or against a thing, mm -hmm. but it was sort of a double negative. And so it was actually voting no was for it and voting <laughs> yes was against it and yes won. But like in, in the post post election polls, a lot of the voters that were polled voted yes, but supported the no position, but they didn't mm -hmm. know. <laughs> they had no idea. So like that stuff happens all the time. The, the, the status quo, you know, they, they get in there and they're like, Hmm, you know, at our here at that time, the state, the secretary of state was Javier Becerra, who was just nominated into something by Biden. Um, which, you know, good riddance out of our state. It's just too bad. He's in, now he's in everybody's state, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I guarantee you, he wrote, you know, he, he played a hand in, um, in making sure that that ballot initiative was uh, written in a weird way so that you know it would be confusing but you know that's that's a, that's another strategy that you have to be able to fight but ultimately if i can leave on or one i mean i could answer as many questions you want but um the one thing that i'd really like people to to, to take on again is that all of this stuff is your fault <laughs> <laughs> i know it's a awful thing to say and i know that it may not earn me a lot of support from people but but i i have to like I, what I want, speaking for myself, is I want a government that truly works for us, that actually has our best interests in heart and does what's best for us as people, as regular people, the, the bottom 90% of this country. Um, that's what I want. And, you know, I don't think you can get there without trusting the people to do the right thing to actually vote out the, the, the shitheads and, and whatever, but like, it has to be put in the people's hands and the people have to actually make that change. Like mm -hmm. it, it can't be a top down type of thing. So, so that's why ultimately I, I, I blame the voters. I, you know, I, because it's, it's gotta be them who changes it. It's gotta be the voters who decide that they they've had enough and they, they want to change things and until that happens none of the other changes I think really matter. But that's also part of my gun policy. Like, uh, again, trusting people. If you're going to trust people to vote, you're going to trust people with a vote where they can actually, at least in theory, steer the direction of our governments from local and state and national governments, 
using their votes like that's a big responsibility you're giving to people well you know um it doesn't really make a lot of logical sense to me to give people that responsibility but but say but you can't have a gun but you can't use these certain drugs you can't <laughs> you know it's like what, do you trust the people or not do you think the people are complete idiots or do you think they're okay like are they going to survive you know to me that that does it really does make a difference. Um, and so that's kind of the whole thing on my candidacy is trusting the people, like about, about putting the power back into their hands. It's not about me having power. Um, it's about making sure that the people I represent have it. Awesome. All right, Steve, how can people get involved in your campaign? Well, uh, you can email me. It'll come to me at info at voteforcox.com or it, um, you could go to voteforcox.com, which I'm going to be rebuilding here shortly. Um, but there you'll find over 30,000 words of policy and philosophy, all sourced for data and everything else. Um, to, so, I, you know, I try not to leave any stone unturned because another part of trusting the people is telling them everything and letting them decide. Yep. It's not hiding what you believe about certain things. Um, it's not hiding your, your personality either. Like, um, I get people mad at me all the time on Twitter and whatnot, but, um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I sort of revel in it because I'm like, yeah, be mad. It's okay. You know, it's okay to be mad at me. Um, and I'm not going to apologize unless I really feel like I did something wrong, you know, but, um, but I, I, I welcome, I welcome hatred <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah, because I think that's part of it. You know, that's a, this is a thing. Like I, I I'm not going to kiss people's butt and whatever, but, but again, as I said, in the very beginning, I think that, the, somebody like me with that sort of attitude is the right person to send to DC. If you really want to, you know, ruffle some feathers and get some stuff changing over there, you want to send people that don't care if everybody hates them. And I don't care if everybody hates me. I don't care, especially them. It's like, you know, put me in a room full of awful people and then and may, try and make me feel bad that they don't like me. It's like, uh, I, yeah, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy. They don't like me if they, when that comes around, you know? So, um, voteforcox.com has all the policy stuff um my my twitter is real steve cox as well as my facebook page and my instagram page i'll probably be starting up a, a twitch or a, a something like that soon um, because i always have all these long drawn out things to say and then i and twitter's like 280 characters and i can't get it out <laughs> so um you know i'll be doing a couple other things like that too um but Ultimately, on my website, the big things are, you know, if you want to volunteer, like if you have graphic design abilities or, or um, if you have fundraising abilities, you know, or connections, things like that, I, I, I do need your help. Um, you know, if you want to just help with minor stuff, uh, whatever it is, if, especially if you're local, um, that, that's also very helpful. Um, and then ultimately, the big thing right now is that I had a, uh, I had a deal with an organization called Grassroots um, analytics. Um, I signed a contract with them and they're, they're this grassroots organization that gets all this donor data, um, from left-wing sort of causes candidates, et cetera. And then they supply that to candidates who want to be able to call people and, and email people to raise money for their campaigns. And they, they, they had signed a, a contract. Well, to start at the beginning for my 2020 run, a person who was on my campaign contacted them about, about helping us. Um, and they said that they only supported Democrats. Um, so, so, you know, that was a bummer, but after everything that happened in the last election cycle, I contacted them directly and said, look, I'm not a Democrat, but I'm left of every Democrat in office. So, um, if you, if you, uh, you know, 
I, I re really could use your help. And, and then they're like, oh yeah, for sure. And they full on signed a contract that got signed and sent back to me and all this other stuff. And then um, during the period of time between, it was like four or five days between signing the contracts and then when I was going to have my onboard, what they called onboarding onto their systems where I could get access to the voter data or the donor data, um, I pissed off one of the, one of the kids on, and they really are kids, but they, there's these, you know, the, the typical liberal slash progressive offended at everything, um, you know, type of person, the, the people that the right calls snowflakes, um, mm -hmm. you know, that's what these people, a lot of the staff at this place are. And um, I was at the time given a bunch of shit to uh, the two new senators from Georgia and Biden about them promising $2,000 checks and only talking about sending us a $1,400 one as if the $600 Trump checks should count toward the $2,000 that they, that they promised. Um, it, you know, I was giving them shit about that, which I think they deserve. And, uh, um, and I was just getting like, you know, mountains of like these sock puppet accounts and bots and stuff just coming down on me and, you know, telling me I'm a piece of shit and everything. And so I was just mocking them and like making fun of them and blocking them. And apparently one of them was probably one of the people at <laughs> grassroots analytics, <laughs> but, but <laughs> they ended up canceling my contract is the point. Like literally 45 minutes before my onboarding call, I got an email saying that they're canceling the phone call and that they get a fall. I get a follow-up email and then they canceled my contract. And what they said was I was unprofessional. My Twitter account was unprofessional. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, that's such a bullshit thing because like the idea of professionalism by itself is already this elitist sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think most people really care about if a politician says a curse word every now and then or whatever right. like i don't think that's a real thing um and again i believe that the actual answer is to send people who want to fight those people in dc you know mm -hmm. like legitimately want to fight them and and so you know you can't do that with somebody who's not a fighter and who's not always trying to fight people about stupid stuff like this um you know so it was just one of these things. And so in the end, I lost that fundraising opportunity and that that it really is a bummer because I I definitely would have easily easily capped off nina turner uses them as her primary fundraising thing and she's she raised like a million dollars her first month you know wow. like I, and all i need to raise like 150 grand i don't even need that much to make it through the primary here i i'm convinced that's all i need so you know long story short short i do need money so if people have extra money uh, like i know times are tough for most people they're tough for me too but if you guys have extra money and you you want to be a part of something um, I need donations to that because I need to reach a goal of $10,000. When I get to $10,000, there are services I can pay. I can buy this donor information from services and then raise more money using that information. But the way the grassroots analytics was going to do it, the way they do it, is they only charge a 3% um, commission off of all the money you raise. So like you, you don't have to pay till after you get the money from the, the people, you know, so this puts the onus right back into like, basically only rich people can run for office because, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And I mean, it was a bullshit cop out that they gave me and I don't really accept it, but it's not like I could sue them or anything. Like we had a contract and the contract had no provisions in it for canceling it or anything like that. But like, what am I going to do? Am I going to sue them and then like go years and, and like miss the election anyway? Like there's no point in it, right? They're just assholes. So, um, mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, the bottom line is, is I do need, I need to raise money um, and I hate doing it, but I have to, because I can't keep spinning my wheels doing this for no money. And in 2020, I'm, I got 4.8% of the vote for, and spent only about $500 on actual promotion and stuff. The rest of my money was spent on government fees and stuff for ballot access. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was about six cents per vote. As it turned out that 500 bucks get, got me um less than 1000 votes fewer so within 1000 votes of the number of votes chink uger got a couple districts over having spent $500,000 he spent a thousand times more money than me and he got uh 1000 more votes less than 1000 more votes than i did um <clears throat> and it also by the way in the previous election there were more uh, uh independents and third party candidates uh in 2018 in the same election if you add up my total and all the other third party candidates in that race, it still came to less than half of what I got um, as the only third party candidate in this race in 2020. So like, I think that the impetus is there, the, what I, I need the money because the money is how I'm gonna be able to reach enough people to tell them about the message and to get, get the message out there. If I can reach enough people, I can, I can get in the top two. And in California, it's a jungle primary. so no matter what parties they are, the top two vote getters in the primary go on to the general. Um, mm-hmm. And I can, I can get in the top two with $150,000. Anything more than that, I, I, you know, I can basically guarantee it because I, I already have it all planned out. I've been through it before. So, um, you know, money is my point. I need money. <laughs> I hate asking for money, but man, I need money. I really, really need money. And I know this is the worst time because of COVID and like all the unemployment and and all this other stuff, but man, we have to do something. We have to do something. And, and there aren't many people like me doing this as an independent around the country. You know, I, I, I haven't looked that far. Like I haven't looked state by state, but at least in terms of congressional runs uh, in 2020, I got by far the most highest percentage of any independent running anywhere, you know? So um, I think that, uh, that there's something here. And this mm-hmm. is my last time doing this because now that I have a daughter, um, you know, if I lose, I'm not, I'm not going to keep doing it. Like I, I have to figure out what I'm going to do for her and take care of her, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that might be leaving California. <laughs> <laughs> so go uh, roundabout back to the beginning. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, I really appreciate you having me on, but that's really the big thing is, is, uh, uh, you know, word of mouth, tell your friends, but, but if, you know, the thing I tell people is even if you don't have any money, if you're very, very uh, close to destitution every month, like, you know, a lot of us are like I am, um, you know, $5 a month. Can you spare $5 a month? Because you can set up a recurring donation too. And if I get, you know, a few thousand people giving me $5 a month, I'm good. Like we can get in there, like we can make it happen. So it's not just about a bunch of money right now, but if people can commit to just a few bucks, three bucks, five bucks, don't care. One buck, I don't care. A dollar, I'll do that. Like, but if I could get enough people doing that, then we're good. Like we'll we'll be able to fund this campaign properly and actually take it to both these parties in this district. So I really appreciate you having me on for this. Awesome. Everyone, please be sure to donate to Steve's campaign. I'll put the link for his website in the description below. Steve, thanks so much for coming on today. This was cool. This is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. Anytime uh, you want you want me back, just let me know. Thanks for listening. You can watch the video of this podcast at Sabby Sab's channel on YouTube.